God, I know what your what my sin says about me, and I know what your people say about me, but I need to hear it from you. I need to know what you say about me. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. So Serena, welcome back to part three. <laughs> You're still here. I'm still here. I've been sitting here for three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last thing we talked about last week was you were super pregnant. You go into church. You're thinking about how everybody is just going to stare at you. And it was really impressed upon your heart, the fact that People may stare at you, but they're going to be staring at God too because he's going to be right there with you. But I want to back up just a little bit before that because you had started talking to God again. What, when did you start to talk to God again? Okay, so just to recap a couple of things. We were in Chicago. We were um, trying to figure out the next step. And um, he started to come around. And as he started to come around, I started to panic. Uh, so we have from May to June, that's the three weeks, um, mid-May to the first week of June, three weeks. And then he was, or we were found out in the beginning of June, and he was in lockdown until uh, July 4th. And then July 5th, we moved to Chicago. And then uh, it was the 1st of August. And I needed to get the girls in school. I needed to start figuring out some long-term things because this is going on. It wasn't fixing itself. And I started to panic. And um, I knew, you know, prior to that, I, you could always pray. You know, God would always be there for you. Except in this case, I wasn't sure where I stood with him. And I remember um, the first prayer that I prayed to him after all of this was, God, I know what your, what my sin says about me. And I know what your people say about me, but I need to hear it from you. I need to know what you say about me. And, um, I was reading this little Max Lucado. It's like a tiny little devotional book with like one scripture and maybe a paragraph after it. And it was like grace for the moment or something. And, um, so, the scripture was from Isaiah 54. I don't know what I what Max Lucado said about it, but whenever I started reading the chapter, I'm reading it about halfway down. Uh, I could feel God answer me. I'm going to try not to to get emotional while I'm reading this because it still speaks to me. <laughs> but so I'm I'm direct asking God directly, "What do you say about me?" And then Isaiah 54, starting at about verse seven says your redeemer God says I left you but only for a moment now with enormous compassion I'm bringing you back in an outburst of anger I turn my back on you but only for a moment it's with lasting love that I'm tenderly caring for you this exile is like the days of Noah for me I promise then 
that the waters of Noah would never again flood the earth. I'm promising now no more anger, no more dressing you down. For even if the mountains walk away and the hills fall to pieces, my love won't walk away from you. My covenant commitment of peace won't fall apart. The God who has compassion on you says so. Afflicted city, storm battered, unpitied. I'm about to rebuild you with stones of turquoise. Lay your foundations with sapphires. Construct your towers with rubies, your gates with jewels, and all your walls with precious stones. All your, all your children will have God for their teacher. What a mentor for your children. You'll be built solid, grounded in righteousness, far from any trouble, nothing to fear, far from terror. It won't even come close. If anyone attacks you, don't for a moment suppose that I sent them. And if any should attack, nothing will come of it. I create the blacksmith who fires up his forge and makes a weapon designed to kill. I also create the destroyer, but no weapon that can hurt you has ever been forged. Any accuser who takes you to court will be dismissed as a liar. This is what God's servants can expect. I'll see to it that everything works out for the best. God's decree. And I lost it. I asked God what he thought of me, and that's what he said. That's insane to me because I, I was in the worst, the worst place I had ever been and like take inventory of my childhood. Stick me back in that little room with the pea-stained sheets and the pedophile in there. This was worse than that. So I believed him. I believed God when he said that, and I knew it would be okay, but I had no, I mean, I had no idea how to move forward at all. And then the, the next day, <laughs> I was uh, checking my email, and I had an email from Mitch, who was my teacher um, at, at church. He was um, the college and career pastor. He had has his preaching license or did at the time. So when he's emailing me, I'm kind of open to hearing more from God. And um, I don't have my book in front of me, but if you have it handy, you can maybe read that letter. Yes, I have it. Before I read the letter, though, I want to let you, the listeners, know that Serena and I talked about this letter, and we both agree that because it was written 13 years ago, we don't hold Mitch to his words today. For all we know, he would hear these words and cringe. I know I've written words that I certainly regret. Or maybe he would hear them and think, yeah, that's what I believe. And maybe I'd word the letter differently, but it is what it is. The fact is, we don't know and we don't want to make this about Mitch. He's not a villain, but he is a significant part of Serena's story. So all this to say, as you listen to the letter, Remember that this isn't about the person who wrote it. It's about how we as a church might identify in our earnest response to sin or what we perceive as sinful living. With that said, here's the letter that Serena received after she read Isaiah 54. I have really sought the mind of Christ on this letter. I have sacrificed a quick emotional response for something that is more thought through about which I am more confident. It's also quite frank. I love God's word, and it tells me to be frank. It also tells me to speak truth in love. I pray both are accomplished here. You mentioned in June about not knowing who you are. No one knows who you are. I'm thrilled you haven't murdered, but the rest of the Ten Commandments have been broken so readily and so often still. I see the two of you, fingers raised, flipping God off. 
I've heard too that now the two of you understand Madeline better. You understood truth before, and now you understand deception. Oh, from the heights you've fallen. I just don't get it. So many people, more and more every day, are weeping over the fact that you are so spiritually deceived. I know that the two of you have weighed this and are fine with it. It's sad, and we hate it, and we hate that the two of you don't, or if you do and are doing it anyways, that's perhaps worse. The feelings from various people at various times are anger, sadness, despair, emptiness, weakness, frustration, fury, etc., over the fact that your innocent children have to witness your sin. We pray that the sins of their father and mother won't be passed on to them, and we pray that he protects your hearts and minds from you and Justin and from your lives. Now, we don't abandon. We've been abandoned, so I suppose 1 Corinthians 5 is simpler for us that way. I'm not sure how you'll feel when you get this letter. Maybe you're feeling defensive, but Mitch, you don't understand this nuance, blah, blah. Or maybe you're just numb, hoping it will all pass. Please know that God's grace isn't cheap. He doesn't cast his pearls before swine. I pray you seek forgiveness. You can still do the right thing, although I don't expect it as you become someone else, but it's still a possibility. I'm not sure how this can be redeemed, but I pray God gives you a way of understanding that leads to scraping together what could remain of your life to glorify him. Frankly, I hope you don't become famous as it could hurt our cause so much if people were to know your version of morality. I pray that someday you repent and not try to sneak off somewhere and get involved with the church with ignorant leadership who are excited about you. All the while, you're just saying the right words rather than living the right lives. What hell to have to hide the truth of what you've done. Your guilty prayers of forgiveness are empty. You can't turn from this and at the same time act to all around like nothing is wrong. God sees what is going on inside your heart. And while others may be fooled, he won't be. David and Bathsheba certainly woke up next to each other, but they also wept over the grave of their son and her husband and lived with guilt forever. David would be slinging stones at the two of you. Unfortunately, you are now further from the right than you have ever been. I know each of you have started this new life where you know, <clears throat> where what you know is trumped by what you feel. I pray God's protection over your children and spouses who never deserved such an evil fate. I'll close this letter with the same words I gave Madeline in court. I love you and I forgive you. Mitch. I haven't read that uh, in a really long time. And not at all what God was saying to me. <laughs> Especially, it's interesting because it, 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 when I read that, I think here is this person who knows you and is thinking like, oh, she's just saying all the right words. But if you really knew her, like, you'd know she's just a liar. And I have lots of questions. I know the listeners are going to have lots of questions, but before you even continue on with the story, I know people are wondering, and so I'm going to ask it. Do you and Mitch have any contact? Like, has there been any reconciliation after this? I'm just, would you briefly catch us up on that? And then you can take us back to the story. Zero, zero whatsoever. And, um, I, you know, I never wrote him back. I would say that my book is my response to that letter. Prior to this, I hadn't seen him in mm, maybe five years. So he didn't actually know me. He just remembered me as a new Christian. 
Oh, that's interesting. He was the one who, um, you know, helped form like my, my faith, I guess, for the first three years. And then I moved away and I was still moved away when he, when he wrote that. So is he the one who ended up marrying Justin's wife? Yes. Okay. So he's writing out of the fallout. So tell us the truth. Like what, what actually was going on in your relationship with God? And then we'll kind of revisit the letter and talk about how as a church, how as people we deal with somebody who has fallen. So go ahead and tell us the truth. What was really going on in your relationship with God? So at this time I, um, was like, it it was worse at night. Like during the day you can stay busy and you can, um, you can, uh, have enough going on to where you don't have to, um, think, but at nighttime I would just lay in bed and just this panic and this, um, this fear of like what I've, I've ruined my life. I've, I've just panic and fear. Um, and to the point of, I would have to just lay there and say the name of Jesus over and over and over and over so that the thoughts couldn't get me anymore. It just felt like, uh, just mean. It just like, like spiritual bullies, just like mean all the time. And so when I got this, when I got this letter, now the, now the presence of just being bullied and, and the meanness had words, like it had, it had a voice now (laughs) it had words. And, um, so but between me and God, I, I would have to um, basically just try to drown out the, the screaming um, attacks to just, um, I mean, I, I picture, I picture a, a little kid in uh, walking the streets like of a war-torn country covered in the debris of war and crying for his, for his dad like to come and find him, like in, in, in my spirit and in the, like looking at it now, I know that he was coming after me. He was running through all of the stuff to come and scoop me up and carry me out of there. And I'm the one who set off the bomb. So that, that was something else I had to deal with. There's something to be said about being a victim in a situation like this. And I'm not saying it's like, they have less to complain about or anything like there is a place of comfort that you can go knowing that God will protect you from other people. But whenever you have no right to ask for protection because you're the one who caused it, that's a terrifying place to be. And that's where I was. I couldn't even, uh, I didn't have the right to ask. So, so I wasn't, we weren't fine with it, by the way. We weren't fine with it at all. He was wrong. He was wrong on so many levels. And the fact that he was so wrong, I think the only thing that he got right was that I was numb and I was waiting for it to be over. He's right about that. But the rest of it, he was so wrong that it didn't like land as deep as it could have. It was just, it was confusing to have your leader fail like that. But I guess at that point, it wasn't really Right, right. Okay, so so what do you and Justin do next? Okay, so 
humans, whenever they go through something that big, that traumatic, that scary, they kind of revert to an earlier stage of development. So I think spiritually you do that too. Like, like you, um, whenever you are desperate and needy and, and, uh, feeling weaker, you lean on God very heavily. And then whenever you start to like gain confidence and, um, you can kind of like walk on your own and like wander around and explore. And then if you fall or something scares you, then you run back to, you run back to leaning heavily on God, that sort of thing. So, um, I mean, you can picture the way a, a toddler like holds onto his mom's leg and then lets go until like strangers come in the room and then comes back. So with us, um, or with, with anybody, but with me, I, um, I needed to like go to the only place that I knew, which is I need to go all the way back to the beginning. I need to go like, I have nothing. I've, I have, I have nothing. (laughs) So I needed to move back in with my parents. I told Justin, he needs to move back in with his mom and we need to like figure stuff out. So that's what we did. Then I needed to get a job and then after getting a job, I moved, you know, away from my parents' house. And this whole time, Justin's like, you know, trying to figure out if we're going to be together. And I'm trying to figure out if, like, what God wants me to do. Because I talked about this um, the last time, but I didn't know if I would be keeping the baby that I was pregnant with or giving her to Justin. And I had decided somewhere along the line that I'm going to give her to Justin. And I... And I, everybody was telling me, or at least um, that letter from Mitch said that in order to please God, I needed to like go back to my marriage. And that didn't feel right to me, but I didn't know what right was. And so I um, kept asking God to show me the path he wanted me to take. That was answered in a really, a really clear way. I was asking God like, to show me the path he wanted me to take, like stay here and start a life with Justin, which didn't seem, I wouldn't even let myself. That's what I wanted to do. Um, Because in spite of everything, Justin and I loved each other and he was the only safe place. He was the only one not, um, not attacking me. Uh, The only one who really knew what, what I was going through. Um, and everybody else, I think they thought I was fine with it. Like, I don't know. It was, it was weird. Like I would go into, um, grocery stores and see, see people look at me weird. And I'm like, and, and some of this could have been just my perception and some of it, um, I know was correct. Uh, like I know that, that they were doing this, like they would, they would like either turn around and like leave wherever they were because, I was in there. I had, I had one woman and keep in mind, I'm like big pregnant. I have my kids with me and I was walking down an aisle in a grocery store and somebody bumped me like, like this aggressive sort of, this is my aisle, like looked past me. Like I didn't exist and bumped me. And I recognized her. I knew she knew who I was. And I just, it was so bizarre. Like, what are you, what part of God are you representing when you treat people that way? Yeah. Because they're looking at you like you did this and you're fine with it. And like, it's not okay. As though you didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, there was not a single moment during any of this where I'm like, what? This is wrong? Like, I, there's, I know that. So anyway, I just asked God to show me the path he wanted me to take. And he made it, he made it clear. Uh, So I had a job as a hairdresser. And whenever you move to a new town, you have to like sit around at the salon for a long time and build up a clientele. So I had a lot of time to kill on my hands. And I would look through um, the paper, like the classified ads and see what open houses there were. And that's what we would do on the weekend because we had no money and we had no social life whatsoever. So we would drive around and look at houses, even at my best, I couldn't afford. So like million dollar homes and just tour them and have fun. And so this is you and Justin driving around. And the reason I'm asking is because at this point or the last you left off, you had said Justin was living with his mom. You were living with your I, I adopted mom. I, yeah. who, who? Okay. Where did we get from point we're living separately to now we're looking at houses? Yeah. It's just, um, it, you know how, like, we're not looking at houses, like we're going to buy a home together. We're looking at houses, like this is free and it takes up, you know, the afternoon. So it's just like daydreaming. It's like, um, filling up a shopping cart full of stuff you can't afford, but it's killing time. One Sunday, we ended up in a in a neighborhood where my girls, I had them enrolled in an elementary. Remember, I had that summer rental. I had that apartment. I knew that I was going to be living in, uh, I don't want to give specifics, so I, I don't know what town to use. Um, I knew that I was going to be living in, in a certain town. And um, so I enrolled my girls in school because I could still use the address from the rental because technically the three months wasn't up. So I wasn't living there. So I definitely like um, stretched this to fit for me. Um, It's an open enrollment uh, town. So you don't have to live in the school district, but I used that address anyway. So um, I enrolled the girls in school And somebody called the school and said that I wasn't living there, told the principal about what, like, I had done. And the principal kicked my kids out of the school. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is this just a regular public elementary school? Regular public elementary school that I technically needed approval to have my kids go in. And I didn't get the proper approval because of my address situation. Everything was temporary. So I used the last address that I actually had myself, which was in that school district, with the intention of I'm going to get back in there, but I need my kids to be in a school and not like in this school and then that school and then that school. Like I needed them to have some stability. And that woman would not listen to me. And I don't know what her relationship I didn't know her relationship with these parents um, who were they're close to the circle of friends. I, I know who they are um, and they got my kids kicked out. So when people are like, your poor kids to have to, they were doing it to them. Like my kids were fine. But whenever you have adults like trying to make other adults lives suffer, you're making the kids lives suffer too. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, I had to I had to take my kids out of the school. So picking back up where that story was, so I'm at this house um, in this neighborhood that's up on a hill, and from the hill you can actually see the school. 
which is just a sore spot, you know, at this point. And I'm looking around the house. It's four bedrooms. And I look at Justin and I'm like, I, I need to get out of here. And he was like, why? He goes, I said, because I can see myself here and it hurts. Like this isn't, I got it. This isn't like, I can see myself here. And he goes, okay. So that was like a first, that was a weird little experience that I had. And I, it just is super depressing. Like I was supposed to be, you know, escaping my real life mode and I could actually see myself there and I just needed to get out of there. So, um, I, had, uh, I was sitting at work, you know, the next day and I'm looking through the classifieds and there's this thing, there's this ad that said you could lease a home. I don't know. Something about the ad just stood out to me. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I can afford that down, that down payment. And, um, I had Justin, uh, call the number and the guy set us up with an appointment. Well, I immediately felt awful because I don't need an appointment. Like I'm completely wasting your time. I just, I was just looking for, um, open houses, like, but we went ahead with it and we came to this house and it wasn't finished yet. And we're approaching the house and I'm looking around at, um, the outside of the house. And Justin said, Hey, do you know where we are? And, uh, I'm like, no, cause I, this is his town. This wasn't my town. I like, I don't, I didn't remember. I hadn't lived here in years. So, um, he said, this is the same neighborhood as the other house as that's the house that we were looking at last Sunday. And I looked across the street and I'm like, holy cow, it is. And there's the school. And, um, and so I'm standing inside this house and I'm immediately like, I, why am I, why am I here? And, um, the guy, the owner, his name's Mike. And he said, so is this the kind of house you can see yourself in using my exact words from last Sunday? And I just, I, I turned my back to him so that he couldn't see that I was getting emotional. And I just said, yes. And he said, do you want to set up a time to sign the papers and get the keys? And I'm like, well, isn't there anything you want to know about me? Because a, I didn't have any money. B, um, in my, uh, marriage to Mark, I had good credit and Mark did not but Mark made the money. So all of our marital debt was in my name. And now it was my responsibility. And now it's like months late. Like if the worst credit in the whole world, standing in this unfinished, beautiful home with this man saying, do you want to sign the paperwork and get the keys? I'm thinking, you are going to take one look at me on paper and you're, you, you're going to realize I've wasted your time. I said, isn't there anything you want to know about me? And he goes, no, I'm a good judge of character. And my immediately thought was, uh, no, you're not. <laughs> but um, so I set up the time. I gave him the down payment, which was like less than $5,000. And I'm handing him the money and he hands me the keys. And I'm like, why are you doing this? He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, he goes, oh, he goes, my wife and I are Christians and we just believe in good homes for good people. And it just like anytime anybody was kind to me, it just made me feel worse. You know, like you need to know about me. You need to know that I'm not a good people. Like I've done something awful, but I didn't. I mean, I'm not going to say that. And I'm like, so he goes, we just believe in good homes for good people. And I'm like, what's the name of your company? And he said, Pathway Properties. So I had been asking God what path he wanted me to take. Mm. And then he not only led me to a house that could fit our family, 
and then um, four bedrooms up on a hill and through my back door. As I'm talking to you right now, I can see the school my kids were kicked out of. So I took my paperwork back into that school, into the office, showed it to her, and she had to let my kids back in school. And I mean, I've been here for 13 years now. It's just like a sweet affirmation that God is with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and giving me things, what is it? Grace is n- Grace is giving you things that you don't deserve and mercy is not giving you what you deserve. So that is that is grace. I started to soften up toward the kindness of God because I felt like he wasn't being mean enough to me. It would have been so much more comfortable if he had just punished me because then maybe people would look at me and know that I have had enough. But he didn't punish me at all. And I think that that's really hard for people to deal with because what I did was so hurtful. So I had Stella on March 11th. And a tornado came through the town the next day. (laughs) It didn't hurt any of our lives. I just like telling Stella that story. And whenever I came home from the hospital, there were divorce papers from Mark in there. And uh, I'm like, okay, I I know that God is saying that I can have this life. I know he is. I want this, but I want there to be some sort of like, payment. And then as I was exploring that thought process over the years, it's like Jesus bleeding out saying, is this not enough? So I accept that. It took me a long time to put pictures of me and Justin up anywhere. I just didn't want to offend people. Actually, it took me probably about eight years. Wow. When, when did you and, Ju- you and Justin are married? Uh, I had Stella in March, um, and Justin and I moved into the house in January. So Justin had a bedroom across the house, and I had the main bedroom. We were married in October. You are both following the Lord. I mean, you're, you have repented. You know, you know that what you did was wrong. How does the church respond? Meaning... Did everybody just treat, like continue to treat you badly or did you find a new church? I mean, just, you know what, just take us through what you've learned with how, how people have responded to you since. Okay. So what I have learned is that Christians don't do this to people they don't know. They do that this to the people that they do know. So if you're part of their small group, you're part of their church, you're part of them and you do this, then it's you're basically like uh, shunned or kicked out or um, uh, like excommunicated in some form, but other churches will take you. So there was a church here in town that um, knew Justin and knew him, him from his, from his old life. That's how we, we call it the old life. Um, and said that he could come to his church and Justin's, Justin, you know, hesitated because he knows people there. And, um, and the pastor sensed that and he said, uh, nobody, nobody's there. Nobody comes there that would, that would matter. 
uh, and so we started going there and that's the church that I was talking about. Like I was, you know, getting big pregnant at that point. And that's the pastor who married us. And, uh, and he cried at our wedding, um, because he knew the whole story and he thought that the great, that grace was beautiful. Actually, he wrote the foreword in my book. His name's, um, Cal, and he's just one of the coolest people, um, we've ever come in contact with. So, uh, to be able to have that was awesome. And then, uh, the people that were, um, part of our lives before a lot of them have, a lot of people have come around, but they've come around like to Justin. Um, nobody, nobody has contacted me. Nobody. Um, and at first, uh, I, it, whenever I was learning all of this stuff, like all of the stuff that God was teaching me through my failure and, um, about grace and about like, Oh my gosh, you know, I've been trying to keep myself clean. Like I married somebody at 22 because I refused to like be dirty. Like I, and I'm finding, trying to find all these ways that I could like, I could save myself. And I have learned there's, I, I can't, like you can't. And in trying, so you're completely, that's when you're giving the middle finger to Jesus. <laughs> you're not giving the middle finger to Jesus when you're sinning, you're being a human. You're giving the middle finger to Jesus whenever you're like, no, I got this. I, I can fix this. And I, I was in a place where there's no way I could fix it. And so by me accepting his grace for the church to think that, you know, for not the church, these people at that church saying me accepting grace is me giving God the middle finger. There's something so like elementally, <laughs> is that the right word to use in there? So, so wrong on the foundation of that faith. It makes me wonder about everything that's built on top of it, but that's a whole other like conversation. So me at the beginning, I'm like these people who I thought cared about me, would want to know like what I'm learning. This is huge. Like I, I would try to get in contact with them. Like I'm learning all, like you're saying this stuff to me, but as I'm like looking up the scriptures that you're using to bury me, if you read the context, they're digging me out of the grave. You're trying to bury me in. And they were frustrated instead of um, having their eyes opened or anything. They definitely, I definitely learned through that process that they viewed me as absolutely deceived and useless. And so I stopped, I stopped trying to like show them the stuff that I was, but I still had it like bubbling up inside of me. Like, this is insane. <laughs> People need to know this. And so that's why I wrote, I wrote the book and I, I wrote that book, like, uh, as I was going through it and, uh, and quickly, like it just poured out of me it was an awesome experience and I haven't written a book since because I'm like, I don't think that can happen again. <laughs> I think I can write, but I don't think it'll come out like that. I think that was a gift. There is a scripture passage in Matthew 13. Um, and it's talking about the farmer who planted good seed in his field. It's like down in the twenties somewhere. And it says that like at night, um, the enemy, like, put in like bad seeds um, there. I think if you look at the, if you look at the, uh, at people who study, like what kind of, I don't know, there's a, there's wheat and then there's a weed that looks like wheat. 
And so the farmhands could tell that, um, that somebody came in and sowed bad seeds with the good seeds. And the farmhands were asking the farmer, like, do you want us to rip this out? And the farmer was like, no, I don't want you to rip out the bad seeds because you might rip out the good seeds too. Let's just wait until it like grows up. And then in harvest, I'll, I'll separate it out on the threshing floor. And um, so I, I take that to represent kind of like in life. I think, you know, whenever you, you know, God creates these children and then, um, and then things happen in life that can like sow bad seeds into them. So fear. And so um, you, you and I know very well that the stuff that happens in our childhood um, starts to take shape into, in, to the adults that we become. And it's, and it's only through self-awareness and through this journey with God that he can start to like untwist these twisted beams in our life that, you know, these experiences that we've had, uh, have created. So we are like that soil We're we are like, you know, we have the good seed and we have the bad seed and, and, and God is saying, let's let it, let's let it, uh, grow. And, um, and then we can separate it out. And I think, that um, what I've learned through my situation is I, you know, the the behavior, the things, the choices that we do, the weaknesses that we have, the the sins that we that we um, commit are all from something. It's not just you know I don't care about anybody. I'm going to do this. It's like I am trying to get something that I should be getting from God. I'm going to try to get that on my own and it manifests in like sinful behavior. And so God's not like, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't turn his back on you at that point. He's like, Hey, you got this in a way that is going to steal your joy. It's going to steal, uh, it's going to be hollow. Like I have something that's going to last forever. Come to me for that. But, but when you crack your life open with sin that way, you crack, you crack it deep enough to where he can get out the roots. Like, you know, it's in such a way that the seeds that were planted in my childhood grew into the weeds that like the fruit of sin, basically it's producing fruit. You can see that it's sin. So it can be sent through the fire. So the nights, whenever I'm like being attacked and whenever I'm scared and I'm, and I am terrified, you know, all of that I can say is like the threshing floor. It is terrifying to see the, to see what's happening to you, to see how this shield that you have had on you just ripped off of you so violently and just sent through the fire and like your life just, but in the moment it's terrifying and it feels brutal and it feels like, um, you're not going to make it through this. But, but after the fact, I mean, before the affair, I never thought that I would ever do anything like that. And then I did. And now I know I can do something like that. And so I protect myself. Before I had it in me and I didn't know it. And now it's not in there. I'm a different person. I'm not saying I would never do that again. Because that's the mistake number one. So sifted as wheat. That's that's what I I wanted to have a conference. I was just gonna say that. I was just gonna say I remember you talking about having a conference. 
I wanted to, but then I just got overwhelmed at like how to make that happen. And it, I didn't think anybody would come. And- That's okay because I'm going to have a conference on the complicated stuff of life and we can have a session called Sifted as Wheat and you can do that. <laughs> okay. I'll let you do the hard work. I'll just show up. Perfect. And, and here, here is the answer to the question. And this is me responding to if you want to. Emphatically, yes. I need people to know that God knew about their sin way before they did. Like, think about my verse, Serena, Serena, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Serena, that your faith won't fail. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. He said that your faith won't fail. And when you come back, meaning I'm going to let Satan sift you as wheat. And when you're done, I'm going to use you. So here I am. This is me talking to God right now. Here I am. What do you want to say to people who are listening? To, you've got two different groups. Well, we have lots of different <laughs> groups probably, but you're going to have the people who've not fallen in any major ways, okay? And then you're going to have the people who have or who are currently. So if you could speak to both. So we'll start with the Serenas. What would you say to them? Um, I have to pick Serena at a certain spot. So Serena, and she is like in the middle of her own personal hell that she created. Yeah. Pick the Serena who is filled with shame and isn't sure what God thinks about her because she has just come out of a great fall and she doesn't know where to turn and she knows what her sin says about her and she knows what God's people says about her, but she needs to know what God says about her. <laughs> oh, I love that you just did that. Okay. So I know that it hurts. And I think in a lot of ways it's supposed to. And I know that it feels like that you have no idea how God is going to fix this. But he is going to fix this. He is going to make something so beautiful out of this. And whether you can believe it or not, you will be able to sit at your kitchen table drinking coffee in a house that is warm with Christmas and look back at this time and thank God for it. You might be sitting there wishing you could go back and take it back, but I don't think that's, I don't think that's, first of all, time machines don't exist. And second of all, This is doing something in you that nothing else could do. God has not left you. He will never leave you. People will leave you. In Isaiah 54, it says the, the mountains might pull up their skirts and move away from you, but he won't. So just, just hold tight. Rescue is coming. And if you need to reach out to somebody who is not going to treat you like the pariah, that you feel like you are, you can talk to me. You can talk to Sarah. There are tons of people out there that you can talk to. Yes, 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 yes. So good. And before I forget, I just want to say again that if you have questions for Serena or you just need to talk to somebody or tell your story or whatever it is, you can just go ahead and email podcast at sarahmay.com and you can put the subject Serena 
that will just help us to see it faster. And so uh, please feel free to do that. Okay, Serena, what would you say to the very earnest Christians who are listening, who love the Lord, are doing their best, but, you know, uh, are feeling like maybe how Mitch has felt or not sure how to deal with somebody, especially, you know, when it's personal, right? Because we're so human. So like if my husband has an affair and then him and then him and her go off and get married and have this happy life and turn to the Lord, like I, that's complicated. Like I'm a human, like I'm going to feel pretty angry and uh, it's going to be a real hard wrestle. So could you just talk to the Mitches of uh, who are listening, who are really struggling with this? I would say, I know that you love God, and I know that you want every aspect of your life to represent and glorify God, but I think that you're focusing on the wrong thing. I think you're focusing on behavior, on on fruit, and I know that you can judge the tree by the fruit. I'm not saying that you're totally wrong. I just think that you need to remember that there is a reason that Jesus came. And it is not, it's not to be reserved for people who don't need it. Like by you, by you treating the people who fail around you as though it was possible to not fail, you are in turn saying something about the necessity of the cross. Basically, it wasn't necessary because we have the ability to not fail. I know that the details can be distracting and they can be ugly and offensive. I know that my sin is offensive. I, I know that. And there are tons of things that people can do that can push you to the limit of just human decency. But you don't get to pick. It's not for you to say whether God can forgive someone or not forgive someone. That's your limitation. That's not their limitation, and it's not God's limitation. So be very, very careful with the way you treat people because you are representing God, and you can either turn them away from the cross or you can move out of the way and help them up the hill so they can get wet in his blood Don't keep them from it. Take them to it. And I know it's a lot harder to embrace a sinner than it is to throw a rock at her. But God is not throwing rocks at her. What side do you want to be on? That's what I would say. You guys can pick up Serena's book, Grace is for Sinners, at, I guess, anywhere, right? I'll have links in the show notes, so you can just click on those to find them. And then if you guys want to find Serena... Online, you can find her at graceisforsinners.com. You can write to Serena or myself at podcast at sarahmay.com, and we will have a follow-up episode where Serena answers your questions. So again, you can just go ahead and send your questions for Serena to podcast at sarahmay.com and make sure you check out her book, Grace is for sinners. Serena, thank you again. Is there anything else you want to say before we end today? No, but I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity to tell to tell my story. I, I really do hope that it helps someone out there. Yeah, it will. If, if there's anything I've learned over the last 
several years, it's that our stories aren't ours, <laughs> aren't ours. When God does something, it's really his story. And he wants to use that to not only bring glory to himself, but for others to turn and trust him. So I am grateful for you and for what God has done in your life. So thanks again, Serena, for being here. And we'll pick back up probably after Christmas with the Q&A. So does that sound good? Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out saramay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.